Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is from Matthew 22, verses 32 to 40. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had left the Sadducees speechless, they met together. One of them, a legal expert, tested him, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? He replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, you're dismissed to King's Quest. The rest of us can be seated. All right. Happy New Year. It's the first Sunday of 2020, and it is also the first time that I've had the opportunity to come up here and teach a full sermon on a Sunday morning. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, before I dive into what I have prepared this morning, I just want to say this. Uh, I am so grateful that me and my family belong to this community. Um, You guys have nurtured me, loved me, loved my wife, loved my kids so well. And like so much of my life, so much of the goodness in my life can be tied back to being a part of this community. And so um, I just want to say thank you. And I just um, hope this morning that uh, this sermon blesses you. And with that being said, I'm going to pray, and we can jump into this as a family. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and um, I thank you that you're a God that's in the middle of it all with us. And God, I just pray that your spirit fills this sanctuary here this morning. That this wouldn't just be me talking about your great love, but God, that we would have an encounter with you this morning. And so God, I just pray for that spirit and I pray that in your son's name. Amen. All right, guys. So in, in preparing for this morning, Daniel actually gave me the opportunity to choose the text I preached on this morning. And can I tell you, that's a blessing And a challenge all at the same time. There's a lot of content in this book, in case you didn't know. You know, and uh, it could have gone in a lot of different directions. And I've worked with the youth for quite some time. And, like, the one thing that youth are really good at pointing out are just the awkward turns this book takes. Like, you always have that kid at the back of the room who's like, Hey, do you know the Bible says whoever lies with animals shall be put to death? That was supposed to be a joke, but... (laughs) And I'm glad it's supposed to be a joke, because at one point in history, like, that wasn't a joke. Somebody actually needed to hear that. And that's, you know, 2020 progress, right? Um, so I'm not going to be talking about Exodus 22:19 this morning. I think it was a good choice. I don't think that would have gone over well in Monday morning planning meeting. You might not see me for another five years after that. Uh, I decided to settle on a piece of Jesus' teaching instead. And I think that was a better choice. And uh, what I love about Jesus' teaching is that there's this combination of accessibility and depth. 
When Jesus teaches, it's simple enough for even my five-year-old to begin to grab a hold of, right? But it's also deep enough that she can continue to explore it for the rest of her life. You know, I love the simple but profound truths that Jesus offered up throughout his ministry. So this morning, we're going to take a look at a moment where the religious elite tried to challenge Jesus' understanding of God's word, which is kind of awkward as we look back at this because he's like the embodiment of God's word. But we're going to pick up in Matthew 22, and we're going to focus in on verses 34 through 40. And if you want to follow along, um, it's on page 828 in the Blue Bible underneath your seat. So when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had left the Sadducees speechless, they met together. One of them, a legal expert, tested him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? I'm going to pause right there for a second. So I know what the Pharisees are doing here. They're they're, they're trying to ask a question to trip Jesus up and discredit his voice. And they don't have, like, good intent in asking this question. But, man, it's a good question, isn't it? I mean, if you had an opportunity to ask God one question and you knew you're going to get a straightforward answer, like this is probably going to be at the top of my list. I don't know about you. And so this morning, what I really want to do is really focus in on Jesus' response. He replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. So love God, love yourself, love others. Now what is this pointing us to? You know, this is the most, if this is the most important thing that we're to do, it's probably pointing us to the greatest blessing that God wants to give us, right? So if we're able to abide by these commandments the outcome would probably look something like this. We would have a deep and wonderful friendship with God. We would have a deep and love and appreciation for ourselves. And we would have amazing friendships with the people that God surrounds us with, right? You know, and this being the greatest blessing actually kind of holds up in my own life, if you think about it. The things that I cherish most are the relationships that God's given me and my relationship to God. You know, you could take my house, you could take my clothes, you can take my car, you can take all of that. But don't take my people, right? That's that's what really matters most. And can I tell you something too? That's probably the most tragic thing is when somebody that we love dearly gets taken from us, right? So love God, love yourself, and love others. Seems simple enough, right? Well, it depends. It all hinges on how we define love. You know, Paul says this about love. He says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up never loses faith, it always is hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now, this is a wonderful definition for love. 
it rightly names it as a verb. It's something we do. But the best picture of love I think we've received comes to us in the form of Jesus, right? When we read the Gospels, we get to see a life completely inspired by this grand definition of love. You know, Jesus lived a life that was committed to justice and filled with compassion. He cared deeply for everyone he came into contact with, even the people that wished to do him harm. You know, he was so ridiculously generous to the point that he gave everything he had. Ultimately, he gave his life. Why? So we would know how deeply we are loved. You know, and, and if this is how we choose to define love, it makes these simple commandments pretty big and pretty challenging. So what stands in the way of our ability to love God love ourselves, and love the people around us. Sin. See, sin is that subtle things we do to undermine love. Sin finds us when we stop trusting in the love that God has for us. When we stop believing that God is going to meet us at our deepest longings and our deepest desires with his abundant life. See, sin is this absurd thing that lives in all of us, that has the capacity to mess up our lives, and the lives of the people we're connected to. You know, I, I've had the, the pleasure, the, the privilege to lead the, the Good Friday service with um, people on staff. And in the last two years, when um, I've led this Good Friday service, I read this poem. And I think this poem that I read in that service really kind of uh, uh, points out the corrosive nature of sin. So I'm going to read that again for us here this morning. Written by Richard John Newhouse. About chief of sinners, I do not know. But what I know about sinners, I know chiefly about me. We did not mean to do the deed, of course. The things we have done wrong seem, or mostly seem small at the time. The word of encouragement withheld. The touch of kindness not given. The visit not made, the trust betrayed, the cutting remark, so clever and so cruel. The illicit sexual desire so generously entertained. The angry answer, the surge of resentment at being slighted. The lie we, th we thought would do no harm. It's such a long and tedious list of little things. Surely not too much should be made of it, we thought to ourselves. But now it has come to this, it has come to the cross, all the trespasses of all the people of all time have gravitated here to the killing grounds of Calvary. Is anybody feeling convicted right now? I am. Sin is a dysfunctional tendency that we all carry, and it threatens our ability to be in meaningful relationship. It puts the greatest blessing that God has for us in jeopardy. And I, I had this pastor who used to say this about sin. He said, sin always costs more than you want to pay, and it keeps you longer than you want to stay. It's devastating. And can I tell you this? I think the worst part of sin is not the pain that comes along with it. It's the loneliness it leaves behind. You know, the way it isolates us from God 
in others. See, the loneliest time in my life came right before I came to faith. I was 21 years old. I was uh, going through the middle of a divorce. I had a wife. I had two kids. And, uh, and I started early in life. And when you start early in life, like to provide for a family like that, there's not a lot of options for work. And one of the few was to join the service. So I joined the army. And that took us to Germany, and that's where we lived as a family. And when my marriage fell apart, my ex moved back to California with my two little boys. And um, at that time in my life, to be honest with you, I was ready for like me and my ex's relationship to come to an end. It was just, didn't work. It was miserable to be in. But I was not ready to live on the other side of the world for my two boys. And um, there was like four months, and it was like the darkest four months of my life. Because like during this first four months when she left, I had to live in the house that we shared as a family. And it was just torturous. Like when I would get up to take a shower in the morning, I would have to walk by my kids' rooms. You know, they were, they were full with their stuff, but they weren't, they weren't there. You know, and, and at the end of my workday, when I came home to rest, that's where I came home to rest. And I can remember one afternoon when it just became unbearable, and it just kind of all came to a point for me. And uh, I was trying to call back home and call my ex to work out some of the logistics so I could get the heck out of this house and move back into the barracks. And when I called home, instead of... Um, Pick, instead of her picking up the phone, uh, her new boyfriend picked up the phone. And she wasn't around, and he was watching my kids. And, like, everything that I was going through just, just came up. You know, all the misery, all the pain, all the loneliness, all the heartbreak. Like, it just grabbed a hold of me. And we had, um, you know, this stupid testosterone-filled conversation that was really brief. And, <laughs> yeah. And, like, and I don't know about you guys, but when I get overwhelmed with emotion, like, I revert back to, like, Neanderthal man. And typically things get broken. And uh, I was standing in front of, like, a counter of dishes that I just cleaned. And I, like, brought them down to the floor and broke them and looked ridiculous probably doing it. And that wasn't the worst moment, though. The worst moment was about an hour later. And I kind of come down from my rage and my anger and I had to go back in my kitchen and clean up my mess. And as I was cleaning up the broken glass, I realized that there was nobody here with me to clean up this mess with me. There's this loneliness that I, that I, that I came to feel in that moment. You know, and that loneliness was unbearable. You know, I felt like it hung around my neck and it just, it just carried with me wherever I went. And it didn't matter, you know, if I was surrounded by people. Like, nothing could really break through this loneliness. And I felt like it robbed me of my humanity, that I was just kind of a shell of who I was. See, the worst part of sin is not the pain that comes along with it. It's the loneliness it leaves behind. And see, at this moment in my life, I was lost and I didn't really know how to love. You know, and it wasn't because I wasn't trying. Man, I tried hard and I failed big time. 
But the truth about love is that it's hard work and it has high standards. So how do we begin to live into the high challenge that these two commandments call us to? And I think the gospel gives us a beautiful answer to this question. And the first of these two great commandments points us in the right direction. See, we can't answer this great call to love on our own. In our own power, in our own strength, we're going to fall short every time. See, but the gospel says that you don't have to do this alone. And as a matter of fact, God has already done the heavy lifting on Calvary. God has paid the price for our sin. Amen. And to really start to live into the challenge that these two commandments present, we need to turn to the one who's giving them to us. We need to turn our lives to the abundant love that Jesus has for us. You know, if you're sitting here this morning and you're feeling isolated, you're feeling lonely, and you're feeling distant from the love of God, you need to hear this. God loves you so deeply, more deeply than you'll ever know. And there's no mess that you've made or this world has created that he won't help clean up. There's no relationship beyond repair God's love will find you in the darkness of your loneliness. And if you're sitting here and you're like, man, I need to be found by that love. Can I tell you something? Don't leave here without talking to somebody, without bringing somebody into this moment. You know, the good news about my life and my story that this this horrible season of my life wasn't the end of my story, right? Right? In a lot of ways, it was kind of the beginning of my story because it was in this lonely place where Jesus began to ambush me. You know, Jesus began to move towards me with this group of flawed and dysfunctional people who were broken just like me. But they had something I didn't. They knew what love was. They knew Jesus, and they introduced me to Jesus. And can I tell you something? The more I press into the love that Jesus has for me, the easier it becomes to love him back, to love myself, and to love others. And can I tell you something? I find the most joy in that. It's what we've been created for. Do I still mess up? Yes. Do I still fall short? Yes. But I know where to go, and I know who to see when I mess up. I know who's going to pick me up when I fall short. So this morning, I want to end here, and I want to end with a challenge. If you know Jesus, you know love. And I I can almost guarantee you, there are people in your life, you know, maybe um, there are kids to go to school with your kids, or maybe they're on your block, maybe they're a coworker, maybe they're just somebody you see regularly, but there are people in your life that need to feel the love of God from you. So let's press into these great commandments together. Praise be to God.